welcome to episode 7 of the Counterforce Podcast. I'm your host, Aug Stone. We were just listening to the fantastic Sylvie by Saint Etienne from their Good Humor album. One of my favorite bands of all time, one of my favorite records of all time. Seriously, I just made my top 10 list and that is definitely on there. Uh, came out 20 years ago and the band are coming in North America next week to do the anniversary shows, which I am very excited about. Getting this record was pretty life-changing for me. I remember they had had a bit of a break since their records in the early 90s. And then in 1998, I went down to Secret Sounds when I was in Bridgeport, Connecticut to buy the best of the Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds um, with the bonus disc. And Chris Raz said to me, have you got the new Saint Etienne? And you pulled it out on the counter and the cover with, you know, it's a lovely shade of green. You know, I was sold immediately. And it also had the bonus disc. And then a few months later, they came to Boston to the Paradise in December, and I went to see them, and oh, it was and it was just awesome. And ever since then, I'm, I've seen them whenever I can. I've in Boston, New York, L.A., Oxford, London. I think I've seen them fourteen or fifteen times now. So it was my pleasure to talk to singer Sarah Cracknell for this episode of the Counterforce. So, what were your early impressions of the Cardigans? Um, I was really like the Cardigans. Um... Uh, especially the production that, you know, hence us going to Tambourine um, to record. Um, yeah, I love I love Nina's voice. I think they're great. Really good band. So, um, yeah, what was it like working with Tori Johansson? Interesting. <laughs> he's, um, um, yeah, he's, he's an interesting character. He, as a man of sort of few words, um, and he sort of gets to the point. Um, very, very Swedish in humour, which I really like. Um, he was a hard, really hard worker, like long hours. And we're a bit, we're a bit lightweight when it comes to hours. Um, we're con- constantly thinking about the the next meal out <laughs> and stuff. Um, so uh, he'd work really, really late into the night, just fine tuning bits and pieces you know while we be out sort of painting the town red um but he he i mean he brought so much to to the table we wanted it wasn't even so much the cardigan sound he had another artist called lady lynette and we were after nicking that sound really more than anything um and there was just a whole a whole load of brilliant musicians all connected to tambourine so we managed to you know talk them into playing various things they were horn players there was a bangled eggstone and they were kind of around yeah they're brilliant and they were around most of the time um because they had a studio there as well and so yeah we'd get them in to, to play stuff and yeah there was a real a big pool of great musicians so it was it was easy to do in that situation what is it about Swedish pop? They seem to have like this gene or something that just makes, you know, pure pop music. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, they do have that gene. I know exactly what you mean. Um, that, that's why we felt such an affinity, I think, with Sweden. Um, and we'd been going there um, DJing and stuff. Um, so we had, we had a connection anyway. Uh, more, more with Stockholm, really. We had friends in Stockholm and you know, um, Andres Locker was a really good friend. He's a, a journalist. Um, 
Frederick Strahd was another one. Um, so we'd been going quite a lot. And, yeah, we just felt this real affinity, definite sort of pop affinity. Um, but we had that same feeling of it in Japan, in fact. I think there's something about sort of British pop, Japanese pop, and <laughs> Swedish pop mm. somehow linked. <laughs> so what else were you listening to when you were making the record? Goodness, we, we were quite into... What were we listening to? We were listening to sort of TV themes and stuff like Hill Street Blues and stuff like that. I think we were also, that might have been the same sort of time we were listening to a lot of Charlie Brown music, you know, from the cartoon. Um, uh, And what else were we listening to? I don't really know. I can't remember. I'm not not a very good memory person, I'm afraid. You've you've got the wrong member of the band for memory. (laughs) (laughs) So... There's a bit of a space between Tiger Bay in 94 and Good Humor in 98. How, tell me about reconvening for Good Humor. Yeah, we, um, it was kind of just a timing thing. Bob and Pete had um, that label, Ice Rink. So they had they were fairly busy with that. And I did a solo album in between. Um, that was just sort of songs and ideas that I had knocking around. Um and it felt like there was a, a gap in proceedings and that I, I could, you know, if I wanted to do it, I should probably do it then. Um, so, yeah, sometimes think, timing-wise with putting records out, we tend to just get, I don't know, just get the right feeling that the time is right to do it. You know, it's not, we're never really that well organised and planned in advance. You know, it just sort of, we just sort of fall into it. I mean, originally, you know, at the very beginning, we had this idea of doing, you know, an album a year and stuff. But it just, I don't know, I suppose that's just not going to happen. It's too impractical. Um, so, we, yeah, we just had a bit of a gap and then, and then the time was right. It's always really good. It's like when we did Home Counties a while ago. I think we just got all got an urge to go into the studio and do something. You know, it was very organic. So, although you recorded the record in Malmo, there's a bunch of references to America on Good Humor. You got Idaho and L.A. and Wood Cabin, Erica America, Radio Boston. Was that on you conscious of that? Or? Yeah, no, I think we were very conscious of that. It was part of us that was trying to, trying to distance ourselves from the whole quintessentially <laughs> British and the whole Britpop thing and everything. It's like, that's not really us, you know. <laughs> we wanted to be more universal, you know what I mean? We just wanted to be, yeah, to, just not labelled as quintessentially English, in fact, not even British, you know. it's kind of. And I think America had always held a, a real fascination because in growing, when growing up, um, we were bombarded with sort of American TV, um, and, and a lot of American music. So it was like good humor is like sort of, um, it's like our fantasy America from when we were kids. Cause we had, I'd been a couple of times briefly, but I don't think Bob and Pete had been to the States. So it's our, our vision of what the States was like, you know, probably wholly inaccurate, but it's our fantasy America. Ah, when was the first time you guys came over here? As a band, 
as a band, um, and probably. God, now you see you've asked me a question again. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I just, I just remember. <laughs> uh, uh, like early nineties. <laughs> it would have been early nineties. So I don't know, ninety two, ninety three, something like that. I would think. And what were your impressions compared to the fantasy? Um. Well, do you know the the brilliant thing about the states is, it's, it's you're so good at keeping things like shop signs and you know it's everything. A lot of things stay very much the same, whereas in this country, there's a habit of changing things all the time. You know, modernizing things um, when they're perfectly brilliant in the first place. You know, but in the states, you get like beautiful untouched diners and, like I said, shop frontage and. You know the road signs all look the same. <laughs> why, do, why, why, why do we go around changing them in this country and making them different? I don't know. So you guys are coming next month for the Good Humor shows, and yeah. you, you came last year, which is pretty frequent. Uh, yeah. What What made you want to bring Good Humor, the anniversary, to the states specifically? Um, well, it it was a record that went down very well in America for us. Um, it was, uh, you know, we had we had the three albums, and then Good Humor came out, and it suddenly it seemed to spark something um, in America that we hadn't necessarily had before. I mean, I don't know whether that was to do with sub pop or, or what, or just the style of the record, perhaps. Um, yeah, it just it, it hit a nerve out there. So we've always felt like we want to come and do the whole album. So I was living in Boston in the early 2000s, and we'd always make the four and a half hour trip to New York to see those shows, too. And uh-huh. when I was at the Fonda last year for the L.A. show, people had come out from Denver to see it. Uh, you guys seem to inspire you know, the fanaticism in fans. Uh, were there any bands that were like that for you that you would travel great distances to see? Uh, the one that I used to... I used to go and see Felt. I don't know if you've ever heard of Felt. Oh, I love Felt, yeah. Oh, yeah. They they were the band I used to go and see like all around the country. I was always the designated driver. So dull. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I uh, grew up in Windsor, and as soon as I could drive, I'd sort of fill my car up with uh, fans, and, um, and we'd all trundle up country to go and see Felt. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about a few of the songs. Um, Sylvie is just one of those pop classics. Could you feel that when you were making it? Yeah, I mean, the whole the whole sort of sentiment is that that real sort of girl group, 60s girl group thing, you know, the sort of the jealous sister, you know. Um, I, I love all that. It's, it's a very sort of pure and simple storyline. Um, so it's kind of, it's dark edged. I like songs like that. <laughs> and split screen, although it wasn't a single, that seems to be another favorite of yours. It's been in the live set pretty much since then, a lot. What is it about that song for you? Um, it's got a real urgency to it. There's something slightly frantic in split screen, um, which is really sort of makes me feel really adrenaline on stage you know because you've really got to keep up (laughs) um you know mentally (laughs) Uh, 
Dutch TV has always been one of my favorites. It's like a great late night turning into dawn song. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that one. Dutch TV. Well, the, fact, the funny thing about that one is the bit of TV that we did sample was, in fact, actually it was Danish radio. <laughs> so, so anyone in Denmark goes, hang on a minute. It's not Dutch at all. <laughs> um, God, I can't even remember because I didn't write the lyrics for Dutch TV. I think Bob wrote the lyrics for that. Musically, it reminded me a bit of uh, like that first Birdie album that came out a few years later. I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I, that's the one that I think has got a slight, slightly more kind of Hill Street Blues type feel to it. Mm. I'm wondering whether, because we had a, one of our, we had another song called Hill Street Blue Connection, didn't we? Yeah. Was that on the, on the um, sorry, again, yeah, Memory Woman. Okay. <laughs> it was, was on, the, yeah, the extra disc. That's right, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's got that sort of slightly Hill Street Blues thing, which I like. Yeah, I wanted to talk about a few of those because uh, you were including them in the live set, but they weren't on the album stuff like 4.35 in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that weirdly has been sampled by um, Tyler, the creator. Do you know Tyler, the creator? <laughs> He's huge. <laughs> He's absolutely massive. Um, yeah, so he he sampled about 4.35 and then sort of rapped over it. It was a really sort of short thing he, he does these little snippets and things and it was so funny I was sitting there watching the you know all the um the views go up on YouTube to sort of millions we're going oh my god <laughs> two million locks a lordy <laughs> so that was interesting that happened really recently it was bizarre um my son's very excited about it I know that anyway <laughs> how old's he um, what's that how old's your son now I've got two, one's 16 and one's 14. Oh, wow. But the 14-year-old was very excited. But, uh, suddenly, I was, you know, I was relevant. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, 4.35 we did live quite a bit. Did um, you purposely make the recording four minutes and 35 seconds long? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> I think what other ones we did live, I'm just having a look on the... Hit the brakes and zip code, I remember. Oh, my God. Did we? Do you know I don't remember doing this? <laughs> uh, on the 98 tour, you were doing the Springfields, Are We Going to Be All Right, which was oh, awesome. Yeah. I remember that. That was great fun, actually. We were talking about that the other day. Maybe we should do that again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're going to do a new song on tour as well. Oh, great. So you've oh. been writing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a few new things up our sleeve. I think we'll do one of them, one of them live. Yeah. There's lots of phoning on Good Humor, especially long distance. <laughs> There's lots of phoning in our songs. Full stop. I that's think you'll find. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> phoning, lots of trains, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the phone is something that we use all the time and sometimes it can be used to deliver new news that people don't want to hear or it can be, you can, conversations can be misinterpreted, you know, phone is a good way because things can get lost in communication, you know what I mean? Mm. So it's 
it's a useful tool in songwriting. <laughs> that never write a love song, never write a trip outline in Wood Cabin comes from the Manics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, your two bands had like a rather unlikely connection when you first started out, like both me on Heavenly. Yeah, it's surprisingly, I mean, especially with the early Manics stuff. Um, they were very pop at the beginning. I mean, they are very pop. Yeah. But, kind of, but they were even more pop at the beginning. Um, and we do, yeah, just got to know them. I think it's that thing of just being on the same label, especially a label like Heavenly. Because um, it's like a big family, you know, and Heavenly being our spiritual home generally. Um, we come in contact with Mannix all the time. So, you know, I got Nikki Wire to sing duet with me on one of my songs on my last solo record so james knows about <laughs> us using his interview <laughs> i think he thinks it's all right <laughs> what do you think of the new stuff on heavenly yeah i like i i love i'm absolutely obsessed with stealing sheep i know they've been around a little while but i, I urge you to see them if you haven't um see them live if you ever can they're so brilliant i love them um they're still my favorites on heavenly Oh, cool. And uh, the only UK shows you got this year at the British Library? Yes, that's right. Um, in October. Yeah, that came about um, because Bob is sort of writer in residence for a year there. And um, they've been asking him to get involved with events, you know, and um, and they've asked they asked if we'd play. So. Which would be great. I mean, I've not seen a show there, but apparently it's really good. The space is really good. Um, it sounds smart too, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, so that'll be great. So we're doing good humour with those two shows, yeah. It'll be the same kind of deal as, as what we're doing in America. Uh, well, that's all the questions I got. I'm looking forward to the New York shows. I'm coming up from Nashville Forum. Oh, bless you. That's very kind. Well, do come and say hello. Well, that was cool. I will definitely be at the Brooklyn show. So, you know, come say hello if you're there. They're also playing in Washington, Boston, Montreal, Toronto, Chicago, San Francisco, and LA. And they'll have an exclusive five-track EP for the tour, you know, those special editions they do, and a two-CD set of their mixes. And that's exciting that there's new material coming. Uh, sorry about the sound quality on my end. There was um, I was trying out a new mic setup, and it was a bit loud, but I hope that was all right. So yeah, um, some news on my end. I've uh, I've just released a comedy album, my first solo comedy album, called Young Southpaw at the Movies. And you could find that at Bandcamp at youngsouthpaw.bandcamp.com. It's only three bucks, but you could, uh, you could listen to the whole thing online too, if you want. And also, if you like this episode, or if you like The Counterforce, uh, I've been trying to raise money. There's this great website called Donors Choose, where you, know, you can donate to classrooms in need to help kids out. And, you know, we need a lot of that in America right now. And there's this one classroom, it's a, f- a class of four-year-olds in Michigan, and uh, the teacher's trying to raise money to get them a greenhouse and the, the tools to have a garden um, so they could, you know, grow healthy food and have stuff to eat throughout the day. I think that's a great idea. I'm going to put the link to it on the show notes for this at www.thecounterforce.net. You know, if you got a couple bucks and can send it this way, um, the project needs to be funded by September 11th, I think. And I've been trying to raise money all summer to get it to get it funded for these kids because I think it's a great idea. So yeah, check out The Counterforce, subscribe. And I'm going to leave you with Dutch TV, that song we were talking about. Another one of my favorites, closing song on the record. (laughs) 